Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And I was explaining in the previous message that the theological world, or you will discover within the majority of the Christian world, people have found various ways to say that we are not really forgiven, that this is just simply a part of the Christian world. It always has been an issue within the Christian world that people will often start out their explanations or their messages or their sermons with something that sounds like, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, but then it won't take very long before they say something that sounds like God is holding your sins against you, you need to obtain forgiveness. And when people hear these kinds of messages, the contradictions can become quite obvious. However, in general, people do not want to disclose or expose or say that there appears to be a little bit of a contradiction in what most people have been teaching in the Christian world about the subject of forgiveness. And again, it's not because people will not say outright that we do not have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. They don't want to say that because that would, of course, be in absolute contradiction with verses such as this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so they won't say it that way. They will say it in other ways so that the contradictions can sometimes be difficult to identify. But you'll notice this. The more you observe, the more you listen, you will run into people who are teaching through the scriptures, who are proclaiming Jesus, who are speaking about the Bible you'll eventually run into this. There is more than enough of this going on within the Christian world that you will definitely have exposure to this. And when it sounds like there is a contradiction, you need to remember this. The chances are there is a contradiction within their theology. In fact, that's why this subject tends to be so big in terms of the theological discussions and the studies and the examinations that people go through, not because it's complicated. What makes it complicated is what people have to go through in order to eventually reject the fact that we are already forgiven, that God does not hold our sins against us. This is a fact that will require a lot of effort to get around to find ways to kind of explain this away. And there are many variations, there are many approaches that people take 
you have to explore the Christian world. You have to explore different congregations and churches and denominations in order to experience this for yourself. I certainly can't give a comprehensive explanation of each and every one of them. I'm just telling you what you ought to look for, and eventually you will find lots of it. It's not so much a matter of what people are saying. It's a matter of everything else that they will say. It will be unusual for you to meet someone and talk with them about Jesus and mention that we are forgiven of our sins. It's unusual to find someone who will say that that's wrong. They will in general agree with that. Oh yes, Jesus died for my sins. He did. He no longer holds my sins against me. And then a little while later, you wait a little while, and they're going to say something that proclaims that they need to go and obtain forgiveness in some way. This is where the sacrificial, ceremonial, sacramental systems come into play. And I mentioned this in the previous program, that there are many churches that are designed around the sacramental, ceremonial, and sacrificial systems that they have as part of what they do in their liturgy and in their practices that provides people with an opportunity to get forgiven, to be forgiven, to get forgiveness. The reason why these systems exist is because these people in general do not believe that we have been forgiven. That really is the only way that you can seek for forgiveness. If you are looking for something, if you are asking God to give you something, it's only going to be because you don't believe you really have it. So whenever you hear any of the complex explanations that people present to say that you maybe are forgiven, maybe you're not, when people are proclaiming things in contradictions, Just remember one thing, either you are forgiven or you need to go get forgiveness. And if you need to go get forgiveness, you are not forgiven. You can't have it both ways. And so, again, the issue is not what people believe or what they proclaim. The issue is all the additional things that they believe and that they proclaim that will contradict what they believed and proclaimed when they spoke with you and related to you about what they believed. This is not unusual. I encounter it all the time. Now, in the previous message, I also mentioned that these systems need to be supported. And that's why the leadership in these congregations promote the idea that you are not forgiven until you participate in one of their ceremonial, sacramental, or sacrificial systems. You have to have their church, you have to have their altar, you have to have their leadership, you have to have their religious atmosphere in order to have the proper infrastructure so that you can get forgiveness from God. And of course, all of this is going to cost. They have to pay for this. So you have to donate, you have to contribute, you have to tithe to this organization in order to support the facility and the staff and everything that is involved in order to provide you with the means through which you can get forgiveness from God, which, of course, simply contradicts the fact that you already have forgiveness. But it is a way to justify the existence of the institution. 
And yes, there are some places and some congregations and some institutions that exist in order to provide these services and so that they can be paid to provide you with these services. It really can come down to people just simply making a living off of other people trying to get something from God that he already gave. But this issue is not just in existence because of the leadership or because of the institution in and of itself. These opportunities to reject the forgiveness that we already have in Christ Jesus comes from the people. It's the people who participate. Those who go and join in with the ceremonial, sacramental, and sacrificial systems, these are the people who donate, who contribute, who pay other people to do this to them. Those are the people who really do keep these kinds of systems alive. And so, of course, I've spent a lot of time talking with people about what they're doing and why. I ask people, do you believe that God has already forgiven you of all of your sins because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And in general, they say yes. They don't usually respond with something like, no, he died on the cross so that we could have some of our sins forgiven and to institute a new sacrificial system, such as confession, as an example, that we just apologize to God, either through a priest or on our own. But either way, we're still doing that. He has provided a new sacrificial system, one of confession. You know, we don't have to go to some specific place and set our pets on fire. We don't have to do that. We just apologize. That's the new sacrificial system, and people will participate in that. Why? Even though they're going to try and obtain forgiveness through what they do, instead of resting in the forgiveness that they already have, Why do they do that? And you know, the most common answer that I have gotten when I ask people about this, the most common answer is because it makes me feel good. Without question, that is the most popular answer. Now, of course, if you go around and you ask people like I have done, you will get a variety of answers. But I think you'll find that this is a very popular answer because This is the most common answer that I've gotten. Well, I just feel good. I feel better when I apologize to God. And again, I don't want to say that this is a bad thing. What I want to say is that you are either forgiven or you are not forgiven. And this is the issue, that people are doing things in order to make themselves feel good because of the belief that they are going to obtain something from God. They don't really feel good because they are being honest with God, because they're confessing their sins and getting it all out in the open with God. That's not what it's about. It's about doing something. It's about accomplishing something. It's about being a part of obtaining forgiveness from God. And people feel good after they participate in these ceremonial, sacrificial, and sacramental kinds of systems. But how does God feel about what people are doing? How does he feel? And this is a question that people don't want to deal with. They don't even want to think about the idea that maybe 
God has an opinion about what's going on. Maybe he doesn't feel so good. All right, so you feel good. But how does he feel? And you know, people just do not want to consider the possibility even that God might have some feelings about these things. In fact, within the theological world, the overwhelming majority of the theologians, the theologues, the people who are into the study of God, in general, the majority of people do not believe that God could have any emotions of any kind. A lot of this comes from pagan Greek philosophy, and I explained in previous messages that this has found its way into the church going all the way back to the beginning of the church itself in the first century. But this is another aspect of pagan Greek philosophy that has found its way into the church and into the beliefs of a lot of people that God has no emotions. He cannot have any emotions because, oh, you know, if he does, well, you know, you could really make him upset. You could make him feel really bad. And if you did, well, look at that. You have enormous power and control over the emotions of God. And we just can't have that. Because if we can affect God in some way, well, it wouldn't be as godly as many people would prefer that he was. They don't want to consider that God has deep emotions. Because if he does then he could be influenced from the behavior, the attitudes, and the beliefs, and the actions of other people. And they just simply find that to be, from a theological point of view, unacceptable. But I do believe that there is an abundance of evidence to show. Going through the scriptures, there is an abundance of evidence to show that God has emotions. He is an emotional being, a person who definitely has deep feelings, without question, according to the testimonies that we have recorded in the scriptures about how our God has expressed himself. And so instead of explaining these things away as some kind of figurative language, I do take the position that God has feelings. And so if he has feelings... How do you suppose he feels about people doing things to obtain forgiveness when he has already forgiven them? If you forgave someone and they came to you and asked you to forgive them, how would you feel about that? You made it abundantly clear to them. That yes, you acknowledge that they did something wrong. You acknowledge that they have violated you in some way. And you have made it clear to them that this is something that took place, but you are not going to hold it against them anymore. You will declare that they are forgiven. And you might just do that just because you don't want to have to hold on to the burden of dealing with all of the issues surrounding what they did. You can just forgive the issue and say, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's done, it's over, there is nothing to deal with here anymore, and you may decide to do this just so you can get on with your life. 
and you can make it clear to the person who violated you. Listen, you know, I just want you to know that what happened is over. I forgive you. I don't expect you to compensate me in any way in the future for the violation that was done. And then they come to you a short time later and they ask you to forgive them of what they did. You can remind them, hey, listen, you know, I already forgave you. That's over. It's done with. Don't bother me with this anymore. Don't bring it up anymore. Believe me and trust me when I tell you that this issue has been resolved. It's not an issue between you and I anymore. But then they bring it up again and again and again. How many times will it take before you start to feel bad over what they continually do? They continually reject you as a person because they reject what you have expressed to them clearly. The only way to reject something as profound as that is to reject you as a person entirely and totally disregard any feelings you may have at all. And so when people are pursuing forgiveness so that they can feel good, and I ask, well, then how does God feel about that? These are the kinds of people who would say God's feelings are irrelevant How he may or may not feel, if he even feels at all, has nothing to do with what I'm doing. And if he doesn't like it, well, then we're just going to say that he has emotional problems. I mean, this is the kind of attitude that people have and why it is so difficult quite often, why it is so difficult to get through to people and convince them that they really do have forgiveness, as is expressed here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, because the desire to feel good quite often can be more important to a person than the truth. You know, when I first got saved, I was not a part of the Christian world. I was a part of the synagogue. I was a part of the Jewish world. And once a year, we would have the Day of Atonement, which was a time when we wouldn't eat anything, we would fast, and we would seek the forgiveness of God. Now, in accordance with the law, that would be the sins that we did not know that we committed. But many people would consider the sins that they knew that they had committed, and they would look forward to that day as an opportunity for them to express their remorse, to express their sense of conviction, and to seek forgiveness from God. But when I recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, I had to reconsider the subject of forgiveness in a big way. And I had to consider how that would affect my experience during the Day of Atonement. And sure enough, after a couple of years, I was participating in the Day of Atonement with the synagogue that I was a part of at that time. It was a small congregation. And I just simply could not participate in what I had been participating in anymore. I just simply couldn't do it. Eventually, in the middle of the service, I simply stopped and I said, listen, you know, who do we really think we're fooling here? I mean, let's be honest. We know that in the law, the law is very clear about this subject, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Do we really think that by our apology, you know, by our confession, And because we are asking for forgiveness, 
that somehow that is how we are going to obtain forgiveness? I don't think so. Not according to the law. So as far as I'm concerned, I think Jesus is the Messiah. And you know, the reaction was quite profound. You probably have not heard so many Oyaves in one place at one time in your life. But that was my first public confession that Jesus is the Messiah. It was over the subject of forgiveness. We are forgiven or we are not forgiven. If we are not forgiven, how are we going to gain forgiveness? Is it going to be because of what our God has done for us through the Messiah? Or is it going to be through some other means? And it doesn't matter what it is, because no matter what it is, it's not what God did for us through the Messiah on the cross. Any other means is not that. So there is only one way to obtain forgiveness, and that is if God gives forgiveness. That's it. There is no ceremony. There is no sacrament. There is no sacrifice. There is no apology. There is no confession. There is only acceptance. That's all there is left. All we can do is accept what he has done for us or we reject what he has done for us. And then after a couple of years, I eventually went to church. And sure enough, I discovered the same issues there. And so this subject has been an important one to me ever since I got saved. Ever since I gave my first confession. And it has been an issue ever since I've entered into the Christian world that there is and continues to be and probably always will be a serious, continual issue of people not believing that they have forgiveness because of what Jesus did for them. You know, there's a big difference between living with the forgiveness that you have and living to obtain forgiveness. Those are two completely different ways of life. The majority of the people in the Christian world throughout the centuries have been living to try to obtain forgiveness. Very few people have been living with the forgiveness that they have already obtained because of what Jesus already did for them. Those are two completely different ways of life. But I genuinely believe that God wants us to live with the forgiveness that he has given us, not continually live to try to obtain the forgiveness that we have already received. This is going to become more important in later chapters. In Ephesians chapter 4, for example, Paul wrote in verse 32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's past tense. That is an accomplished fact. God in Christ forgave you. But if you have a distorted view of what that forgiveness is, then you certainly will not be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving anyone as God in Christ truly forgave you. And I will continue into Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 with regards to wisdom and prudence in the next program.
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.